Wednesday, May 23rd, and I'm here with Brandy Walker, a fifth grade teacher at Colonial Heights, and this is Jenny Smith, one of the facilitators for the Merck Action Research Group this year. Um, so, Brandy, if you want to start just by telling me a little bit about your teaching position this year, how long you've been at the school, a little bit about your school. Um, I've been teaching for 16 years, and the last 11 have been here at Lakeview Elementary. Um, in our division, we have three elementary schools, one middle school, and one high school. Um, this school currently, well, now I'd say 375 students because we got two new students the other day, um, ranging from the ECSC program through fifth grade. Um, we have 26.8% African-American, 4.7% um, Pacific Islander, and we have 18 Hispanic students, multiracial, we have 11.6% and 2.6% Asian and then we have 62% of our student population on free and reduced price lunch. Nice. It's a very diverse, <laughs> a very diverse school. And have you always been fifth grade here? Um, I taught fourth grade my very first year here. And then there was a need for some leadership in fourth grade a few years after that. So they put me back okay. in fourth grade. But I just, fifth it's not better. my favorite. And in fifth grade, do you teach you teach all the contents, or do you pair up with somebody and trade off? Um, we teach all of it. However, we have some talk to the principal about possibly trying to kind of departmentalize um, next year, mm -hmm. just because we feel that it would be more beneficial and we could focus like more on sure. our content than trying to be an expert in everything. It's a lot. It's a lot. So hopefully, he'll listen. Get them ready for middle school. Um. So tell me a little bit about the topic of your action research study, um, what you hoped to address through it, and why you kind of thought about addressing this problem in the first place, or this question in the first place. Um, over the years, I've noticed that kids' behaviors have changed, and more often than not, they're directed at other students. Um, and I was trying to look for ways to cut down on classroom disruptions um, due to those issues. This year, at the beginning of the year, it was awful in here. Um, the different kids, although they come, I mean, they come all come from the same side of the track, so to speak, um, it was just not a good situation. So when this project um, became available, I wanted to look at different ways to kind of build um, a more positive environment for mm -hmm. students and um, for them as much as for myself because I was at my wits end pretty much after the first month and a half of school um, trying to handle all the discipline problems that came about not directed towards me but directed to other students in the classroom and the constant arguing and the bickering and um, the going back and forth between students. Did you feel like whether it was you know, subtle or overt that sometimes the the ways in which kids disagreed with each other, was there like an underlying issue of class or difference or race or gender or things that you felt like maybe kids were drawing lines or? Well, I at first wasn't really sure what the problem was because a lot of times it was among mm -hmm. my African-American students. Mm -hmm not like cross-racial, but within racial mm -hmm. um, disagreements, which kind of caught me by surprise because I had always thought that, like, they would support each other. Uh -huh. 
because I mean, I know that to others it may, but we don't have a very large African American population. Mm-hmm. And I don't have that many, like in my classroom, like I have a few biracial students. Right. Um, but I just figured that they would kind of like gang up, so to speak, on the other students. But they seem to argue with each other more than with other students. Uh-huh. So I was like, okay, this did not make sense to me. But the more, I guess, researching and investigating and everything, um, I mean, there were other reasons for them to be diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, like I didn't even think about education, mm-hmm. like their ability mm-hmm. to learn as being a reason um, for them to so-called be diverse. Because mm-hmm. I always thought like race, ethnicity, religion, I never looked at socioeconomics or, you know, their ability to be educated or, you know, what they felt their ability to be educated um, could also fall into that category. So, like, expand, so as you kind of maybe, as your definition of diversity grew or what what can sort of be included when we think about diversity that helped you think about these kids differently? Because I always knew that, I would always say, you know, it's always cooler to be the bad kid and it is to be the dumb kid. Like, that's always way cooler. But I didn't realize it was, or I guess I, I, I did realize, but I didn't really put it into perspective that it's a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that, you know, kids truly could feel differently simply because they don't feel as if they can be as successful as yeah. someone else. Yeah, yeah. Regardless of the race or, you know, right. the ethnicity or the in- economic status that's involved, simply, you know, if they feel like they can't be successful, sure, that creates a whole number, a whole other, you know, number of issues. Absolutely. So talk a little bit then about, um, from that, from the, I really love the way you've explained how you were seeing things, um, how you what your research question was and what you started to do with your research to address that, that, that issue. Well, in elementary school, we try and use trade books with everything. That's just how we try and I guess get points across or, you know, use as like a jumping off topic for different things. And um, so I guess I had, I don't even know where I came up with the idea, but I'm looking at multicultural literature to try and address some of the problems that were present in the classroom just to try and help whether it, um, I knew I wasn't going to alleviate all the problems. That just wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also knew that it was difficult for some of the students to simply express what they were feeling or, um, I guess, bring certain issues to my attention. Um, so I guess without even knowing it, I had hoped that presenting them with different issues from different literature options, that it would provide them with an opportunity to comment on the subject matter at hand Mm -hmm. without, I guess, having to own it, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that if nothing else got accomplished, it did help me see how they were feeling without them necessarily having to own it. Right. 
and having to come to me and say, you know, these are the things that are taking place. This is, you know, they could say, well, you know, in the classroom, um, I think maybe we could do X, Y, and Z Mm -hmm. because this is happening. Mm -hmm. And so they could kind of put it in like a classroom thing instead of, you know, I really feel like I, because it's hard when you have to own it. Yeah. Especially as a 10-year-old. Sure. It's easier to talk about somebody else or talk about it through a character. Someone I know. Yeah. So I think that that became a really powerful tool for them. So as you were, as you kind of moved through the different books that you were reading and the different sort of journal prompts that you were using, did your, did your questions stay pretty consistent or do you feel like you kind of shifted yes, as you? Yes, the outcome okay. wasn't necessarily like, because the question was, you know, could multicultural literature assist in building a positive, you know, positive relationships between students? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that I could make that leap. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the better leap to make would be could multicultural literature open the floor up to more positive discussions? Yeah. Yes. But I don't know that there's necessarily a direct correlation because could that have been done through role playing? Could that have been done, you know, through other yeah. mediums? Sure. But you did it through literature and it seems like. Right. I'll give you a chance to talk about that in a second, that it did open up the floor. Right, but yeah. I'm just saying that it wasn't the literature itself necessarily that built those positive relationships. It was the fact that the literature opened the door. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I talked to you about having a hard time, like, trying to, like, sort out the data. and Because, you know, I'm a math person. Like, yeah. Really, I'm a math person, and there are numbers involved. And, you know, it is or it isn't, you know. So this whole... Yeah, idea of qualitative data is. Let's talk about that qualitative data for a second. So, can you kind of explain um, the process you follow, sort of from picking a book and then reading the book and then what you guys would do after it? What did that look like as you were collecting data? Um, we well, first I had to go through, you know, and with your assistance, you know, kind of made a list of different books, and um, I tried to look at like could this. I guess I had preconceived, like, expectations. Sure. Like, could this help with maybe not necessarily a certain situation as in two students, but, you know, overall, Mm -hmm. could it help in a certain situation in the classroom? Um, And then we would use that and start, like, little discussion circles. And, I mean, I would make them come to the carpet like kindergartners, but I felt that if we were like a more intimate group Mm -hmm. then we could have more intimate conversations, so to speak. Um, as opposed to kids being spread out all over the room. Yeah. Um, and I would like make the lights. So it would be kind of like really cozy and comfortable and so that we could try and discuss different things that came up or, you know, how did this make you feel when this happened or, um, like the sandwich swap with the two girls with the different sandwiches. Um, wanting to know like okay how would you feel if this happened between you and your best friend okay can you think of another situation that would be similar to this that may or may not involve food you know where you could you know apply what we've learned in this situation and so we would look at like what actually happened in the book how we could apply it in here or to another situation it didn't always have to be in the Mm -hmm. classroom it could be, you know, out in the neighborhood or, you know, even with your siblings. It didn't have yeah. to even be amongst friends. And then we would, um, depending on, 
you know, what time we had and they would journal about, you know, if this happened, how could I have handled it differently and look at different ways to create those more positive relationships because I'm really concerned with the way our schools are headed. Um, I told these kids this morning, like, you guys don't know how things used to be. Like, you never had to worry about bad things happening in a school. I said the worst thing that happened is the teacher got cussed out. I mean, truly, when I was in school, that's the worst thing that happened. No, I mean, there were very rarely any fights. No kids fought. No kids hit teachers. None of that happened. Yeah. And I told them, I said, I truly, I feel it's because you guys don't appreciate each other's differences. And so then we talked about how, you know, differences is what makes us individuals and what makes us special. If we all liked history and we all like playing video games, it would be a boring world. So instead of making fun of people because they're different, we need to accept their differences and learn from them. Yeah. So were there, um, were there like books or particular discussions that stand out to you that like, you know, at the end of the day you're driving like, yeah, that was good. Or that, what that, or that was terrible. Or what that kid said was really, were there, were there experiences that you felt like you'll really um, remember from this that were really impactful for your kids um, or for you? There was a child that used to be here. She's since transferred to Chesterfield County schools. Um, she was kind of a potster. Mm-hmm. I mean, she just liked being the center of attention, whether it was like for a good reason or for a bad reason, it didn't matter. And she had some home issues that probably warranted her wanting to be the center of attention here regardless. Sure. Um, and we were sitting on the carpet one day and we were just talking about the different things that came up and like what we could do, you know, as students and friends, you know, to try and help everyone out and, you know, be a better friend and what we can do to make the environment better and, you know, cut down on, you know, behavioral issues in the classroom and stuff like that. And she was cute as she could be. She raised her hand and I was like, yes. And she said, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this or not. And I said, well, I mean, aside from it being inappropriate, you can pretty much say anything. And if you need to be stopped, I'll stop you. She goes, well, I'm scared I'm going to get in trouble. And I said, okay, well, just say what you have to say. And, you know, I'll do whatever's necessary. Like, if I need to stop you, I'll stop you. If we need to step out, we'll step out. What have you. She goes, um, I should probably tell you that sometimes I just do stuff because I like the attention. <laughs> And I said, okay, well, how do you think that makes your friends feel? She goes, I think that at those times I'm not being a very good friend. I think that I should focus more on being a good friend and focus less on myself. And I said, okay, can you give me an example? She goes, yeah. I said, okay. She goes, remember the other day when I was making fun of so-and-so and I told him that he was fat and he needed to stop eating and that his clothes were too tight? I said, yes, and I told you that you were being very ugly. She said, yeah. She goes, I was being very ugly. She goes, but he was paying attention to me when I said that. Yes, that's true. I said, but he would have also paid attention to you sure. if you walked up to him and said, hey, so-and-so, would you like to play whatever at recess? I said, so all you need to work on, like, I understand you want the attention. I said, I'm glad you recognized that the way you went about it was wrong and being ugly to your friend and disrespectful to your friend was wrong. 
So we need to work on you building those positive relationships with your friends and then you'll get the attention you're seeking. Yeah. But in the correct way. Yeah. So that's awesome. That's such a good example of how, I mean, it sounds like the space that you created really allowed her to see that about herself and to, to share it with you and with her classmates. Hyper. I'm sorry she's gone. Um, so what were some of the challenges that you faced in trying to do this work this this year? I just, and I don't know whether it's because we don't teach writing uh-huh. or, and, and we do teach it, but now that the writing SOL is gone, right? I mean, unfortunately, we focus our attention in other areas, and that's going to change next year due to um, eighth grade's course, but... Journaling for kids is hard. Yeah. Do you think it was hard because, so if journaling was how you were trying to learn how they were responding to these multicultural texts, was it hard because they, they weren't, what what do you think? I think they have a hard time formulating thoughts. Uh Uh-huh. I mean, writing, obviously, it's hard to read all kids, like most of these kids writing, but I think it's really hard for them to formulate the thoughts so that they make sense to us without having to ask the follow-up questions and then getting it down on paper. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes I would be reading their journal and I'd be like, okay, don't truly know exactly what they're trying to tell me. But I oftentimes felt if I asked, mm-hmm. it would change right. what they were trying to not necessarily tell me what they were trying oh, that's interesting. to write down. Yeah. Um, so I think if I had to do it again, um, that I will have them keep their own like electronic. Oh, oh, okay, that's a good idea. Because that way it takes the written process out of it. Yeah. And if it's, them talking it through themselves and they can go back and listen to it and make sure that it's how they want it to be. Yeah. That's an interesting idea. And that makes sense. And easier for me because then I don't have to read it. An electronic journal is easier to keep than. Yeah. You can listen to that in your car. (laughs) Um, So what do you feel like you learned through the course of this work about diversity in your school and your classroom and schools in general? How did this change the way you thought about diversity? I think you've talked about this a little bit, but if there's anything else you want to add. No, I just, I mean, when they talk about it, like mm-hmm. in your in-services or, you know, the 50-minute snippet when they throw you in a meeting after school or whatever, I don't feel that they address all of the different ways that these students can be diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that as educators, I mean, we're always trying, most of us are always trying to do what's best for the students in our classroom. And we're always trying to learn and we're always trying to, you know, keep up with what's going on. But I just wish there was a place that we could find Mm -hmm. everything that in like, I don't know, kind of like a toolbox. Yeah. Where we could go in and pull out because I never I truly never considered educational ability I say educational level but they're all fifth grade right but you know they're at their individual educational level mm-hmm. making them diverse mm-hmm. yeah obviously the state department doesn't either hence the reason we have standardized testing but 
mean, that, that really was like, okay, after all these years, like I've looked at, you know, the home makeup, like single parent versus dual parent, you know, heterogeneous versus homogeneous. I mean, I've looked at all of that, thought about all of that, thought about, you know, one parent income versus two parent income. We talked about, you know, kids making fun of kids because like I have the ability to be at my son's after school activities for Mm -hmm. the most part. But you have parents, whether they're in law enforcement, you know, nurses or whatever, who don't have that, even though they're not low socioeconomic. Right. But their parents, because of what they chose to do, don't have that ability. Mm -hmm. And, you know, sometimes kids look at those kids like, why isn't your mom ever here? Yeah. Because my mom is working and doing what she needs to do for our family. You know, so those things I kind of looked at, but I had never considered, like, the educational level of the kids in this classroom. Is yeah. Being... Yeah. I think it's also, you know, when we, when we think about diversity, it's like the power dynamic that can be a part of um, diverse classrooms if some groups have more power than others. I think the idea of how kids learn is really important because school does preference particular ways of being smart or showing what you know, right. that probably makes it harder for for other kids. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit about um, what did you learn about yourself as a teacher or like your growth as a teacher in doing this? That I still have a long way to go. <laughs> Everybody um, does. I mean, I think that's what makes, I think teachers who realize that they'll never reach that goal makes them better teachers. Like they're always realizing that things are changing, kids are changing, expectations are changing, challenges, you know, the challenges are changing every year because, you know, this year I had this set of challenges, next year it'll be a whole new set of challenges that we'll have to tackle in here. Um, Just understanding that we'll never reach perfection because there'll always be something for us to work on. And, um, you know, our students will always come to us with different backgrounds, different makeups, different, I say sets of issues, but they're not issues. I mean, they're issues to them. They shouldn't be issues for me. Sure. Right. Like I should be the one to help them deal with the problems and the baggage that they bring in from home. Right. But I need the resources. Excuse me. I need um, the tools to do that. Mm -hmm. Well, given that, do you feel like there's anything that you learned this year or things that you did as part of your action research that maybe helped you develop some tools or helped you think about things that you will do differently next year, either in your classroom or school-wide? Well, I've already met with a guidance counselor, um, and I had talked to her about possibly doing a book of the month school-wide, and whether that be done in individual classrooms or whether it was a situation where we could get, like, one of the big books like they use in kindergarten Mm -hmm. and do it. I'm like K1, 2, 3, and then 4, 5. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt if as a school we were working towards a common goal, um, that maybe we would get better results. Mm-hmm. Um, because you do still have so much cross-grade level interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and truly my goal is for this school to remain a safe school. Yeah. And then for that to transition up to the middle school and then for that to transition to the high school. Yeah. Um, because, you know, the middle and high school is where they tend to see yeah. more issues just yeah. because of the age and the yeah. freedom and all of that. 
Um, but I feel that whatever we're going to do as a division needs to start down here. Yeah. Do you feel like you saw your kids treating each other differently as a result of this? Yes, and they did too. Mm -hmm. I mean, even um, the first part of the year, I never got to teach science or social studies, which is taught in the afternoon because I was constantly dealing with behavior issues. I was constantly in the office with kids, you know, constantly missing out on instructional time. And we had talked about that last week. I said, isn't it nice that, that I've been in this room every day teaching as opposed to being in the office with kids dealing with behavioral issues mm -hmm. or kids disagreeing with each other? And they were like, that's awesome. You know what? We hadn't really thought about it, but yeah. <laughs> Like, it's been a long time since Miss Chance has had to stand at the door and watch both classes. That's great. And I'm like, yeah. And they, do you think they're, are they, you know, aware enough to say, like, hey, we got, you know, we can trace this back to conversations that we've had in class or things that we've learned by learning how to be more empathetic or nicer to each other? And I think maybe not necessarily right now. Right. I mean, I still think 10-year-olds are kind of young to Absolutely. be able to kind of process all of that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, sometimes it's like months or years down the road right. and you're like, I mean, I remember when such and such happened and, you know, this happened that I'm hoping that maybe they'll look right. back on it. And it may be next year in middle school when a situation arises and they look back and say, oh, I remember last year we talked about what's a different way that you know, we can handle this right. or, you know, what can I do to help this person out? Right. So I'm not sure that right now that they would sit down and say, oh, yeah. I mean, maybe the action would take place, but mm -hmm. I'm not sure that thought, thought process connection. as to why. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Well, I'm glad it sounds like you have some, I like the idea of having the school white book next year. It sounds like hopefully you've, you've found some ways to transfer some of this into practice for next year. I just want a more conducive environment to learning for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I, we need that right now. All right. Well, thank you very much.